with palsies. I am your palsy, Becca Anderson. And I am your palsy, Justin Hancock. Woo, Hi. Becca, you made it through the intro. Woo. I made it through the intro. For, for those not keeping score at home, uh, I believe that is the first time that I have done the intro. Um, and I was saying to Justin off mic uh, that uh, every time I contemplate doing an intro, I forget what I'm supposed to say, even though it's one sentence. <laughs> well, just to um, even out the odds a little bit, what I didn't tell Rebecca because we hopped on mic right after having this um, who's doing the intro discussion this week. I was sure until it came out of my mouth that I was going to say, and I'm the pelvic Justin Hancock. <laughs> because for time immemorial, the palsy always comes first. So I just knew I was going to blow it. Well, that was, that was my fear, too. I was like, if I didn't hear you say palsy first, <laughs> would I say the right one? <laughs> but we did it. You, you are our witnesses, audience, <clears throat> that we have said the words that we meant to say. Sometimes, friends, and it's particularly appropriate on this day for those both uh, somewhat familiar or not familiar at all with the Christian calendar and traditions. This is Ash Wednesday, a day when we kind of embrace the uh, fragility and beauty that is human uh, life. But on this day, it's particularly good to know that sometimes, even unbeknownst to you, somebody else who is a friend is exactly in the same boat you are at exactly the same time. So <laughs> I find that very helpful. Thank you for sharing, Rebecca. <laughs> we are not just, you know, each, uh, you know, self-conscious and, and uh, you know, making it perfectly imperfect on our own we're, we're sometimes the same in, in that particular <laughs> self-consciousness and perfect imperfection so yes indeed <sighs> well we well, have a it's good go ahead here. yeah it's it, it's good to be here with, with you again justin and uh we're uh uh, so glad to to be back uh, talking talking with everybody. And um, so you had a a particular um, topic for us today that that you wanted to um, kind of discuss together. You want to tell everybody about it? <clears throat> yes, and it really expanded uh, out even after the initial um, conversation around it yesterday. Um, and that is just the the concept that as a person with a disability, we so often have to um, name ourselves or come up with an origin. How I framed it to you initially was the, the weight of always having to carry around an origin story or how did you get this way or what happened or what is your particular condition around with you for for public consumption um, 
And then throughout my day yesterday, I kept bumping up against that that thing. And mm. I really uh, came to expand it out to how many times is a disability, a, a disabled person or, or person with a disability, we are required to uh, show our ID at the door per se, yes. or oh, valid, validate our disability status. Yep, <clears throat> yep. You, you must be this disabled to ride and, and that kind of <laughs> attitude. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, yeah. Those are such incredibly important things to talk about. And like, and we'll, we'll probably keep the, the conversation mostly on disability today, but I, I was also uh, you know, saying when, when we were initially talking about this, like there's a parallel in, in the queer community as well. That, that you need to have your your coming out story you you need to have you know not not necessarily the like how did you get this way but like you know when did you know and who did you tell and or how how do you know are you sure um like there's you know uh in, in a different way uh <clears throat> a, a similar set of questions that that gets asked and and like and, and I, I think the reason they feel similar to me is, is the sense of like questions that we have to answer as members of these communities that non-disabled and non-queer people just don't and just yeah. do not get asked. And I think, Becca, I think you're very astute to uh, pull it out to the queer community as well and expand it out to the queer community as well because uh, <clears throat> I think any marginalized group is going to have those sort of like proof of uh, identity or prove you belong type scenarios but mm -hmm. uh, because we both inhabit uh or we inhabit both spaces on this podcast, the queer and the disabled space. Those are the ones, and we spend most of our life doing those uh, mm -hmm. work and studying intersectionality of the of those two spaces. Those are the ones that are most acute to me, and it's it's so interesting uh, in prepping for the sermon I delivered last week, I spent a lot of time reader, uh, listening to Dr. King, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's sermons. And then I went and read, uh, I just finished uh, Team of Rifles, the, the biography on Abraham Lincoln by Doris mm -hmm. Kearns Goodwin. And I was thinking about that in reference to this question and thinking there are so many things attached to both of those, the disabled and the queer uh, cultures that my son who is now four, when he is an adult, those things will have completely shifted and not the he won't ever have to deal with those things, but 
the ways in which we dealt with them or are dealing with them will look absurd, hopefully, knock on wood, to his adult mind. and Because um, that's just the way society works, but that's clearly squarely where we're living right now so we want to take today and talk about what that's like absolutely yeah i I think that's that's such a good point because i i think the reason we get these kinds of questions and and that other marginalized groups get get similar kinds of questions is that like we're we're seen as not the default right there's there's a default that is you know white cisgender non-disabled heterosexual man and and if you're not that it almost feels like you need to explain why not <laughs> and like yeah you know th- there there are some identities that like I, I i think society has taken as like you know well, well we'll discriminate against you in other ways but you don't need to explain it like we we society that thinks in gender binaries thinks it understands why a woman is not a man and and thinks it understands why a black person is not a white person but like yeah disability queerness where did they come from how how did you possibly get to this unusual body and i i think that what, what you said about your son is is so right that like as disability and queer identities become more and more visible and and more and more understood and and accepted as as part of human variety people don't have those questions as much they they're just like yeah no that you're you're disabled i i don't have any other questions (laughs) except maybe yeah uh, what what's what video games do you like to play you know what what (laughs) do you want to be my friend (laughs) yeah yeah and uh it's 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 remarkable how fast those things can can change in sort of geologic time, but slowly how slowly they change when you're living through them. Um, so before I get to the the story that sort of expanded this question for me yesterday was um, how, what has, what was the first time that you noticed um, in your life this sort of identification needed, let's say? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the, the, you know, set of questions of you know uh tell your origin story I I've been trying to think like I don't think I remember a time where I didn't have to grapple with that um you know and and I and I changed my tack about how I I approached it throughout my life you know that I I think when I was very little and if anybody wanted to ask you know like what what what's up with your vision you know what what can you see I just like refused to answer and just went about my life and and uh, you know, mm-hmm. did, did the things that I wanted to do because it it felt so very not relevant. I, I for a long time was very committed to kind of minimizing my disability identity as much as possible, 
And so anyone who wanted to like bring it up and, and make it a topic of conversation, I immediately shut it down. And then, you know, as I, as I started really embracing my disability identity, I, I was like, oh, okay, like, I don't necessarily want to shut down these conversations, but I do want to make sure we get to have other conversations, because <laughs> I, I'm, I'm okay with talking about my, my disability, but like, how did you become blind and how much can you see are not necessarily the most interesting questions about that to me. And so I kind of started coming up with the, the stock answers of like, you know, that this is what I'll say. And like, this is how I'll kind of transition the conversation to something else. Um, yeah. And so that, that is kind of like my, my approach to like the, the origin story questions, but then like the, the proving you're disabled kinds of things. I think the first time I really became aware of it um, was when I applied for SSI, Supplemental Security Income, uh, when I was 18. And there, you know, in order to be eligible for that program, you need to have a disability and it needs to be certified by a doctor. And yeah. so that that was very much one of those areas where it's like prove that you are disabled and I'm sitting there going like I mean sure I can like I can give you the contact info for my eye doctor and I can give you the contact info with the rehabilitation organization that's been working with me for the past 16 years but like also I, I can't see like that this should be pretty obvious like yeah. if I am thinking <laughs> this is like a really really deep and long con yeah <laughs> and so that was just baffling to me. And, and I, I think it came up when I was applying for some scholarships too, that um, I, I looked uh, when I went to college for, for some scholarships for people with disabilities. And a number of them required me to put down the contact info for my doctor. And I, yeah. again, I'm like, okay, like I get that you want to make sure that this goes to disabled people, but also like wow this this feels like a lot and and it just from there never stopped yeah and i i i you know i can find a certain degree of resonance with with both of those scenarios the uh the uh situation that expanded this topic yesterday was me participating in my yearly uh, nursing assessment for my attendant uh, and mm -hmm. therapy services. And every five years, you do an extended uh, assessment, which mm -hmm. takes 30 minutes longer. It is a bunch of questions ranging from person can look in the appropriate direction when spoken to, to um, can you catch the bus on time or can you screw in a tiny screw with your hand i mean it's a it's a wide ranging uh, bag of a wildly uh, divergent bag of questions cuz they're trying to to monitor and, and account for everybody who might have a disability in their parents uh, or their guardians, essentially. But as I was sitting there as a 
41-year-old man with a four-year-old child, a marriage and two college degrees going, do you really need to ask me, can I turn my, do I turn my head or answer appropriately when spoken to? Uh, So it's just, and again, there's a certain degree of understanding, like for you with SSI, and me in that scenario, and also down the line, I don't have SSI anymore. But when I did, I got similar surveys. Yeah, that that's part of interacting with the state. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just so interesting how. Uh, they're trying to prevent fraud, right? Yeah. But the general population who could also engage and probably does engage in the fraud does mm-hmm. not have to bear the same weight of proof. Yes. Uh, which is just even now very, very striking to me. Yeah, it, it really is. And I, I, as you were talking, Justin, I, I was vividly remembering the, the, the version of that that's the social security form, like, like you said, for SSI, because I, I filled that out when I was 18 and I filled it out again recently. And it's, it is just so detailed and so invasive feeling that, you know, like they, they want to know, like, everything about your how your body works and and how your mind works and what daily activities you can and can't do and you know to some extent I I I get like they're trying to evaluate what level of services you need but it it just feels like I I just find myself encountering some questions and going no I'm sorry you don't need that piece of information like (laughs) you may think you do but you really don't like I I just and like you said nobody else who's not trying to interact with the system has to literally dig their way through paperwork in in order to demonstrate who they are and and what they need and yeah it's it's just so it's it's a lot to to carry it it is. I will say to add some levity to the, the current uh, trajectory of the conversation, I did laugh because you really get a startling view of how rarely these forms are updated. Mm-hmm. Because I got one of the questions was yesterday Can you write a check? do you regularly use a check? And I was like, okay, has in fact, I even stopped the nurse and said, has anyone after 1996, does anyone know how to use a check? Right? Like, I, th- I think on the Social Security one, there's, there's one about, like, do you know how to balance your checkbook? Or, or yeah, like, it's, you know, writing checks and, you know, so many of these things. It's like, all right, well, I, I don't do that, but I I can manage my money. Like, 
<laughs> there is no space on this form. <laughs> you know what I what I can and can't do. <clears throat> it's so silly. These forms are so silly. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to be like, by your logic, by the logic of this question, everyone from the age of 22 and below <laughs> is disabled. Truly. My, my other favorite uh, question example is there's um, a question on, on the SSI one that just says, how far can you walk? And I'm just saying, like, what? How do I even answer that? Like, who, disabled or non-disabled, has just gone out for a walk and walked as long and as far as they can <laughs> just to find out how long it is? Yeah. Like, I, as a person with, you know, legs that, that are ambulatory and, you know, pr pretty good uh, function of those, but, like, not an athlete, I don't know. I can't, I, I am sure I can walk a mile. I'm sure I can walk more than a mile. I don't want to. I don't do it very often. <laughs> Does that count? <laughs> Not to completely degenerate, but to degenerate just a little further. My other favorite question yesterday was, can you stand for longer than five seconds on your own? And I was so close to saying, yes, but should I? I mean, that's the other thing, is that the, the questions are always just framed as, can you? And are never framed as like, what does it cost for you to do that? Yeah, you know that like yeah, I, yeah. I looked at a lot of them for for the SSI one that that's you know saying like, can you do all of these household tasks independently? And I'm like, well, yes, but you know some of those will take me a lot longer than they would a sighted person. Some of those yeah. I won't be confident that I've done as well as a sighted person. Some are, you know, going to maybe be a little risky for me as as a blind person. Like, what what level of can do do you want here? Yes, and no, you're right. I really find myself, and I do every five years when I do beyond the ten minute initial survey. I really find myself caught on the horns of, do I say no? because I flat can't do it, or do I say no because I can't do it to the level you would require as an effective answer? And I want to stay on social services because clearly I am disabled. Like, yes. like you said, yeah, I'm in, a wheel, I'm in a wheelchair. What more <laughs> you need? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think we touched on this when we, when we did our, our episode about the, the rehabilitation system, but like, there really is this, this pressure when, when doing these interviews and, and filling out these forms to be like, we're trying to prove that we're disabled. So like, does, does that mean that we have to undercut our own abilities and, Ability. and competencies because that's the answer that gets us the support that we do in fact need. And, and I'll just be honest with our podcast audience. 
I try to answer those questions with as much integrity and as honestly as possible. Mm -hmm. But if you ask me, and I, I guarantee about 97% of respondents to this question was in the same thing. I, ha I have undercut my own ability because I know I need this service and in order to stay on this service, I've got to meet and not surpass a minimum score yeah so exactly. you play the game you play the hand you're dealt and and honestly like i i do think that that feels to me still very much within the bounds of integrity because i, I think a lot of these forms specifically say answer them as if on your worst day or at least that's the advice that that i've always gotten about it and so yes when i'm filling them out i try to think like okay like on the day where i'm completely exhausted and completely emotionally overwhelmed and like that is making it harder for me to process the visual information that i'm getting how doable are these things and and when you answer it from that perspective yeah, you, you you check a lot more. No, I can't do this boxes. Yeah, exactly. Um, another thing that I thought of in reflecting on this, particularly the initial question that brought us to this subject, the origin story uh, question, and I'll get to my example in a second, but I will ask you this as a way of setup. Do you find that your desire or ability to tell your disability origin story or your, your disability communal experience is different depending on what room you're in? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, depending on the space, depending on the person asking, depending on when in the relationship they're asking. Um, I find it very uncomfortable when people are asking me the origin story questions right first thing we met, especially if it's not in a, a disability context. You know, that like yeah. if I am there to speak about disability theology or disability ministry, like I would rather they ask me questions about my work, but I can see how questions about my disability might be relevant. When I'm just like, going to a church to you know find community and the only things people can find to talk to me about are so when did you become blind have you have you seen this way all your life how much can you see it's like yeah there's other aspects of me that as as somebody in your community I I wish that you would think to ask about and and I I so so that also changes where like when I've known someone for a while and you know they, they're like oh I hadn't thought to ask how much can you see I'm like yeah. yeah okay that's that's fine now like you 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 have earned the story and that's that's kind of what I was I can remember I went to Texas uh Texas Lions camp uh camp exclusively for those with disabilities uh, every summer from the age of seven to 16, so almost a decade every summer. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's, it's hilarious 
the way that when you are asked a question by a bunch of 13 to 15 year old peers mm -hmm. that because the origin story question becomes an entirely different thing and almost a a freedom and a like a an inside code totally. when you're when it's an insider conversation uh and you can bring humor and bitterness and like sarcasm and mm -hmm. and just that more like insider language to bear than it is in the wider than it was for me in the wider community growing up i don't it's really really interesting how even now 30 years later that still stands out as a a relief valve at summer camp. Yeah, absolutely. I I totally feel that. And I, I think, Justin, you got to witness this one, one time that you, you were on a call where I met another blind person uh, a few months ago now, I think. And you you got to watch <clears throat> us just like, you know, and, and, you know, how long have you been visually impaired? And like, what, how much vision do you have? And what technology are you using? Oh, you use that? I've, I've used that before. <laughs> like, like that, that insider talk of like, suddenly these questions that would be so annoying if asked by <clears throat> a non-disabled person, we are just launching into them almost before the other person can ask. <laughs> <laughs> as the as the quote unquote I'm not if I took my glasses off I would be legally blind but I can see I I was the I was the uh, appropriately sorry, normally sighted individual in the room and I was like hi hi I can see fine can I leave I could pause and be like I'm sorry Justin <laughs> We're just uh, on a roll here. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, so I, I'm wondering if this plays into a metaphor that, that I've been a little bit turning over in my head as as we've been talking about this, this subject that like when you first said the phrase origin stories to me, you know, like as we were talking about, of course, I, I was thinking about, um, you know, the, these uh, like how did you become disabled stories and, and coming out narratives and all that. But the first th thought that popped into my head was superhero origin stories. Uh, yeah. Know, how, how did somebody become a superhero? And not to like play into the, the disabled superhero tropes, but it's kind of occurring to me, like we all know Batman's origin story, right? We as, as the audience of Batman. But yeah. like, I don't remember in the like most iterations of the Batman story, I don't think he's exactly going around and telling everyone in Gotham about his origin story. And in, and in fact, specifically, he's not because he's got his, his secret identity, right? Um, yeah. Like nobody who doesn't know that Batman is Bruce Wayne knows why Batman became Batman. Yeah. And 
I a little bit of like maybe there's some parallels here that like you know not, not to say that like we're all living a double life and you know our our we've got secrets that we'll take to our graves but like I do feel like there's a certain amount of like our origin stories are are our own they're they're a little bit private they're a little bit personal and you kind of have to earn them whether that's by already being an insider and and you know ha having a similar story of your own or by being a, a friend or community member who who accompanies you and can you know can see not just like the I don't know like can, can really appreciate both the uh the the superhero and the secret identity uh yeah letting one eclipse the other how, how does that resonate as a very perfect <clears throat> metaphor to you just no I, I becca i think that is absolutely brilliant and uh really evocative and i will tell you you may have i don't know if you did this on purpose because i don't know if i don't know that i've said to you directly just what a deranged batman fan i am um I picked that randomly because that's my brother's favorite superhero. <laughs> I love Batman. I've seen every Batman movie at least twice. And I've seen the uh, Batman. I, I own the Batman, the entire animated series on Blu-ray. Um, Incredible. And I've watched the first season or two, like, uh, to an amount that's not healthy. Uh, and it's funny but it's funny you bring that up because the Batman story is a perfect metaphor like on a macro level for the ubiquity of the origin story because it, it, it has driven a trend within superhero movies because there was a time about three or four years ago or you know even uh, six or seven years ago where a Batman movie was coming out every three to five years and yeah. there's only so much so many times you can see Martha Wayne get her pearls ripped off her neck yeah. before you're like yeah we we all we all know we're all aware yep. let's move on <laughs> the story has been rather played out <laughs> So, and now there's a trend within superhero movies of really starting in, in media threads, like middle of the story. Like his origin story was told, whether it's Batman, Spider-Man, what have you, off screen. And we don't need to know. Everybody knows. Let's go. And I think that's so appropriate for the disabled experience in letting every letting everyone have control of their origin story and not making it this sort of de facto public property totally because i you know the fact is um if you are a good enough friend of mine and you you 
are willing to journey through life with me for long enough, you're going to hear my origin story. Mm -hmm. But I would rather tell you when I am ready and in the way that I want, rather than to have you know me for five minutes and then want to ask. and it's the, the the letting the what you said about letting the origin story or letting your story of disability you kind of need to be an insider need to be a a to use a D term a boon companion <laughs> to have access to that it makes so much sense and really really i mean I've told this story to either this Rebecca or other dimensional Rebecca. And we'll never know since we are in fact the same. (laughs) Indeed. Probably the same. Probably the both actually. But one of the greatest disability experiences of my life was when I went to watch a Cubs game at the Wesley Foundation at at WC, uh, West Texas A&M, and my friend who I was meeting there to watch the game on TV, we'd known each other for 20 minutes, and I forgot that, and I asked him to help me use the bathroom, and he didn't, he didn't bat an eye, he was like, okay, this is weird, incredible, but I'm here for it, let's go, and in that, why that relates to this is in that moment, I didn't need to prove myself. He didn't need to know um, what the ins and outs of my disability were. And he didn't, he did not ask. Yeah. And he was still available, which is huge. So those are exactly the, the people that I, I love and try to keep in my life when when they emerge that can just hear what what we're what we're giving them you know it, uh, who who we are what we need all of that without needing the origin story or, or thinking they need it like that's that's such a beautiful moment <clears throat> and I I think another thing that that came to my mind when when you're talking about the um the, the Batman analogy and and the you know reaction to Martha Wayne's pearls like I think for me at least two sides of why origin stories feel kind of personal and and not first conversation material is on the one hand some of it is boring to me specifically and personally like I, how much I can see is boring. <laughs> Like, there's not an interesting answer to that question yeah really in detail because the short answer is I don't know I don't remember seeing like a sighted person <laughs> what how can yeah. I possibly describe what I see to someone in a way that will help them in any way so so yeah that, that half of the origin story is just boring and then the the other half is like I know all of the reactions to the parts of my story that are not boring, and I'm tired of them. 
like you know i i don't need to give our entire audience my origin story but you know part of it is that i had cancer as a small child and everyone's reaction to that is going to be oh my god i'm so sorry and it's like yeah me too but i've also lived 26 years since then like you know i yeah i'm not dwelling on that every day of my life and like i i don't actually need to pause what i was doing to be sorry with you hmm that is that is boy that is a that is a bumper sticker t-shirt mm. uh <laughs> granite monument statement i'm sorry i don't need to pause what i was doing in order to be sorry with you uh, <laughs> yeah wow I, mean, I think it's so real like there there are so many feelings that non-disabled people have about our disabilities that like if you haven't lived with disability and don't know many people who are disabled and are still processing things make total sense and also i don't always have time for that or spoons for that i <laughs> i am doing yeah. other things <laughs> yeah and really really that is the that is the uh the long and short of it look if you're a child i will answer those questions all day long but once you've uh the minute your voice cracks it becomes a different conversation, um, which is a humorous and somewhat blunt way to put it. I understand, but really, it's that's the most concise thing I can say to yeah uh, to to demonstrate that. And um, it's funny I was gonna ask you. Uh, before the show started and then we started the show and here we are uh, as your cat wanders across screen yeah no everyone uh, missing the video feed which is everyone there is a small gray cat uh, who is just so determined to be the star of the show <laughs> um, is how are we going to land the plane and I was thinking about that and I think we actually landed the plane uh, like five minutes ago with what do we do? What are our takeaways? And what you said about the way that those in society can be aware. It, like, it is our job as the disabled insiders in this conversation to let you, the audience, know sometimes it's great to answer questions and we educate the world and this is awesome sometimes it's exhausting to do that and i just want a sandwich so <laughs> totally yep yep i want a sandwich and a nap just regularly <laughs> so I, I guess but what you said earlier about like realizing there's only a certain degree that an insider can know and needs to know and you know it's kind of on the path of a two-way friendship to allow the the origin story to just evolve naturally or come forth naturally i think that's the perfect way to land the 
land of this conversation. And you know, and I'll I'll say one more takeaway. I think what what resonates to, going back to your your story about your your brand new friend who you asked to help you use the bathroom. I think what resonates with me with that story and with other experiences like that that I've had is that that friend matched your energy when when you made your request. You made it as a a casual, you know, like, hey, this is a thing I need, not a big deal. Can can you help me with this? And he matched that energy and was like, yeah, okay. And so when when you're having origin story conversations with people, if if you're a non-disabled person, try to match our energy. If if mm -hmm. I'm not sobbing about my story right now, that probably means I don't really want you to right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's all, all I can say is yes. <laughs> uh, which is not the world's greatest audio on which to end a podcast conversation, but I'll just give <laughs> it a okay. hearty yes. We've we've had these these origin story conversations so many times that we're we're sleepy now. So uh, <clears throat> you want to tell everybody um, where where they can find us? Yes, indeed, I do. You can find us on Apple Podcast. Google Podcast, Spotify. Uh, you can go to simplecast.com and find our show there where it originates. Uh, and maybe uh, stay tuned for this. Uh, maybe on YouTube eventually. Maybe on YouTube. Uh, oh, can we can we shout out our new editor? I, I feel like that's a thing we should do. On, on the show. Absolutely. We should shout out our new editor. Uh, would you like to shout out our new editor? Yeah. Uh, Palsies with Palsies is proudly edited by the amazing Dylan Hargrave. Thank you, Dylan. We appreciate you so much because that means neither Justin nor I have to deal with editing ourselves. <clears throat> He's a podcast editor. He's a... Uh good friend and he literally keeps seeing the wheels on the Julian Way bus in so many ways it's not quite calculable but thank you <laughs> thank you for being who you are Dylan and uh thank you for being who you are audience and we are so glad you came along with us uh on the ride today uh, remember that we are all humans and we all hold stories and uh hold stories in relationship to one another um uh, so as we say go out and put some good into the world and we will talk to you next time bye bye